The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing. Yes, I I touched it. I touched the microphone. I shouldn't do that. Remember, we're still in our mics for mic drive here on Real Life Real Estate Investing so that Vina can adjust her microphone and not have it turn off. Um, So uh, today's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. And uh, we are therefore just sitting here waiting for your questions to come in and there's a couple of ways that you can participate tonight. One is by picking up the phone and giving us a call between now and eh, roughly, I don't know, 545 Eastern Standard Time at 877-772-9658. That's 877-772-9658. The other way to Reach us if, I don't know, you're sitting at work and it's just like not cool for you to be calling a radio station about your little side business of real estate. You can also go to our website at realliferealestate.com. That's realliferealestate.com, just like the name of the program. And when you get there, you can find a uh, little button that says, ask a question. And actually, you can use that button any time of the day or night. Uh, But today is a really good day to do that because it is question and answer week. And we are, uh, we, Mike and I, Mike and Mike, Mike and Mike and I, and also the Mike are sitting here waiting uh, for those questions, question and answer week only happens once a month, so this is a great chance for you to ask any questions you have about finding deals, buying deals, selling deals, managing deals, getting started, getting out, whatever it is you are looking to do at the moment. A uh, question here that came through the website at realliferealestate.com. This is from Rebecca who does not say where she is writing from, but says, I went to two county courthouses in my area asking for landlords who filed eviction, probate cases, and code violation. Each department looked at me like I had two heads. Each department said that they don't have a list they could give me, but could pull up specific names or cases. The building department was even grilling me as to why I wanted such a list. The counties I visited have populations of 166,000 and 111,000 respectively. All I have the money for my 
all I have had the money for my marketing is driving for dollars and having no luck there either, though I found some out-of-town owners with houses that need fixed up. I have three kids in college and really want to pursue my passion of real estate and make some good chunks of change, but I'm getting very frustrated. Any suggestions? Rebecca, I am going to claim fault for a misunderstanding that you are having here. Uh, because I, like many other folks who talk about marketing in real estate, refer to, refer to, quote, getting lists, when in fact, what I mean is more along the lines of developing a list. There is no list of landlords who have filed an eviction. I mean, there are there are, but they're living in other investors' computers. There's no, there's no like official, it's down at the courthouse list. And there's no list of, of uh, probates that have been filed this month. We'll, we will deal with the code violations in a minute because there actually is a list of those. But when you hear me or anyone else say, mail the probate list, what you're, what you should be hearing is, find out how to access newly filed probate cases and determine whether there's real estate in that estate and who the executor or personal representative or surrogate is. That would be the person who's responsible for possibly selling the real estate and dividing up the money between the heirs and then contact them. So the the list that happens happens because you have found... 25 estates that have been filed in the last week. It doesn't happen because the probate court has such a list. Now, you went on to say that, quote, they could pull up specific names or cases. And that's not that's not a really workable solution. I mean, most of the time you can walk into any courthouse in the country and say, uh, John Smith filed an eviction last week. Can you pull the case for me? And that, and they literally sometimes will go behind the desk and pull out a manila folder and drop it in front of you. And now you have the information for one eviction that has been filed. That's not a, a very workable solution because the folks at the courthouse don't have time to sit there and do that for you all day long. And also you don't know the names or case numbers of everyone who has filed whatever it is you're looking for, be that a foreclosure or whatever. So what you are ideally hoping for and this doesn't exist everywhere, but hopefully it exists where you are, is online access to that information. So in other words, a website run by the court that you can log into, put in some wildcard information, like I want to see all the states filed in the last six months, and then kind of sit there at your leisure and kind of go through them and see what looks like it's got some potential. What happens just as often in my experience, and I've worked with a lot of students in a lot of parts of the country around this idea, uh, is that the online access doesn't exist. But if you go to the courthouse or can send someone to the courthouse, they have what's called a dumb terminal that is um, it's it's completely internal. So it's got all the records, but you can't access it from outside the courthouse and you can sit there or some college student that you hire or whatever can sit there and do these things. So it's it's just jargon in our business that people will talk about lists when no 
list in the sense that you're thinking of it actually exists. It's it's more a way of saying get access to those to those files in some way. Now, the code violations list. Um, that actually probably does exist as a list. I mean, the fact that the, that the building department was grilling you about why you wanted it, I think tells you an awful lot about whether or not they actually have one, uh, because code violations are, uh, basically you're sort of, you're sort of being accused of a crime when you have a code violation, when, and even if it's, even if it's something where, um, in a lot of areas now, employees of the building department will drive around a neighborhood looking for problems. Your grass is too long. You got some flaking paint on your eaves. Your gutter is is hanging down. That sort of thing. And they issue these 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 warnings. They're they're not warnings. They're orders to do stuff. Right. They say you got to fix this. And if you don't, then you will be fined. Although sometimes you're fined just when they when they discover it. And if you don't pay the fine and continue to not do it, then you have committed a misdemeanor and you will come to a housing court where you will get to plead your case or not. And in some places, they can actually jail you for continuing to not pay attention to their orders. So this is this is something where there's like required notifications. Um, you know, they they've got to, the, the the building departments have to let you know that you're being accused of this thing and and how long you have to fix it and what the outcomes are, and then they have to let you know that you've missed that date, and they have to know. So a mailing list exists. Now the biggest argument that I always hear from the code violations people is, well, each 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 uh, um, officer keeps his own list. Well, that that usually doesn't tr- turn out to be true. It generally turns out to be true that there's some data guy who's an intern who works in the basement who's able to pull every officer's entire list of violations at any time, which is a list, right? So I think you need to go back to that one because I think by asking you why you wanted it, they were kind of telling you that they did have it and did know that they have it. So uh, keep keep on trucking there, Rebecca. Um, I'm, a, I'm a little concerned about what you said about how your driving for dollars has not produced anything because that is usually the best way to find uh, don't want or deals. So I don't know if you're driving in areas that are too nice or if you're not contacting the folks or if you're not able to find addresses for the folks, but that's a, that's a different problem. And that's not the question you asked. You're listening to real life, real estate investing. It's question and answer week. If you have a question, call it in 877-772-9658 is the phone number. You may also send an email, but I'm not going to give you an email address. I'm going to give you a website. It's realliferealestate.com. Go there, uh, put your question in the ask a question uh, box and hit send and we will get it here via email. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and you really ought to take a minute and go to realliferealestate.com and sign up for our weekly e-letter because, you know, one of the ways you keep reminding your brain that you're you're stretching and you're trying to reach a new goal and make your life different than it is, is by doing things like listening to real life real estate, right? I bet every single time you listen, there's something that makes you go, aha, 
and yet you probably forget to listen about it like half the time. So go to realliferealestate.com, click on the um, uh, join our, our email list uh, button, and every week you will get a an interesting, I hope interesting, article uh, by or about our guests or their topics and a reminder of the upcoming show so that you can remember to ask questions when you need to. Again, that's realliferealestate.com. There's also almost always some kind of special offer for our listeners. So check that out. A question here from Nick from Philadelphia. He says, I am a wholesaler. I'm about to put a property under contract for a series of complicated reasons. I'm actually going to have to buy and then resell. This is the second time this year that I will have actually closed a deal Am I going to be a dealer for, from a tax perspective? And the answer, Nick, is you're already a dealer from a tax perspective. I mean, when you that's 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 a word that um, I don't know. It's almost like every time I hear I hear somebody say it, an accountant or a a speaker from the front of the room at a real estate association, and they say you know, and then you'll be a dealer. I hear dun 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 in my head because, you know, they, they say it like it's, I don't know, you're going to be the death of you or something. But if you if you think through what the, the tax consequences are of being a dealer versus what the tax consequences are of being a wholesaler who is taking in active earned income, the, the differences are are nil if if wholesaling is all you do now one of the one of the uh things that you don't want to happen is you don't want to have a dealer entity getting mixed up with an entity that is that should not be a dealer from I, from the IRS perspective all right so a dealer a dealer entity is one that treats real estate like inventory you buy it and you sell it, or you buy it and you improve it and you sell it, right? It's not an investment. Real estate is not an investment to a wholesaler or a retailer. Non-dealer properties are properties that are treated as investments, which has to do with, with both how long are they held and also with the intent in holding them. So a rental property is is all other things being equal, obviously an investment property, not a dealer property. I bought it for the purposes of renting it out for a long-term income, right? The potential problem with being a dealer is when you have an, you have an entity or, you know, if you're operating on your own as a sole proprietorship, which you shouldn't be doing, and you have five rental properties and you also wholesaled 30 properties this year. So the IRS says, well, that, that, that entity is a dealer. And then one of your tenants comes along and says, you know, I really want to buy this rental I'm living in. And you would like to, you'd like to sell it and you'd like to pay long-term capital gains because you've owned it for five years and it was an investment property that you sold. And the IRS says, no, you can't take the long-term capital gains treatment because you're a dealer. Or if you decide to finance it to your tenant and all of a sudden you have to pay all of the all of the taxes up front, even though you didn't receive all of the money up front. So so there's some more complicated stuff that that comes with being a dealer as you get more 
as your business gets more complex. And the way to resolve that is have one entity that does the dealer stuff and one entity that does the other stuff. And then it won't it won't affect you because Nick will not be a dealer. Nick's wholesale company will be a dealer and Nick's rental company will not be a dealer. But from from the perspective of how much tax do you have to pay on a property that you close and resell immediately because you're a dealer versus one where you're assigning the contract and taking that as as active income which is really your other choice that it's the same it's the same basic tax issue either way and you deal with it with the same in the same way either way which is keep really careful track of all of your expenses uh operate through an llc and pay yourself a salary a reasonable salary and then take the rest of the income as a uh, as dividends so that you don't you're, they're not subject to self-employment tax uh, but don't get worried about your two deals that you did this year where you're going to have to close them you're listening to real life real estate investing 877-772-9658 is the number to call if you have a question if you are uh, in the mood to email instead can you do that by going to realliferealestate.com, realliferealestate.com, and there is a uh, button there that says Ask Vina a Question, and if you send through that uh, thing, I will get it. I uh, got a question here from Kim in Cincinnati. Kim says, I'm interested in being a private lender to other real estate entrepreneurs. I would like to open an LLC and deposit cash into it for the purpose of lending. Is this legal outside of a self-directed IRA? Now, Kim, I'm, I'm having to make some, assumption he, some assumptions here about the nature of your question that feel free to email me back and let me know if I, if I made the wrong assumptions. Um, but I'm guessing from the way the question is stated that what what you are asking is the source of your funds are a self-directed IRA, but you want to have the lender be an LLC that your self-directed IRA puts funds into. And I, I, this is, I know this is, a, this is a reach, but <laughs> based on based on the question, that's what I'm thinking you're asking. And the answer is uh, always consult with your your IRA custodian and or a legal professional who's actually familiar with IRAs before doing anything with a self directed IRA. Because if you make one mistake, it blows up the whole thing, <laughs> and the IRS takes like sixty percent of your money and hands you back the rest and says, "Have a good day." However, I know that IRA-owned LLCs are fine as long as you, Kim, are not the manager of that LLC. That's that's where that's where things get really complex with with doing businesses doing business with your IRA. Is the things that you would think were perfectly fine, like okay, I'm going to use my IRA money to fund an LLC that is that only my IRA money is in, which would be the simplest possible thing. And then that LLC is going to make loans. That should be fine, right? Well, the, the, there's a question about if it's a member-managed LLC or a manager-managed LLC, and if it's manager-managed LLC, should the manager be Kim? And the, the, the attorneys I know come down firmly on the side of, no, Kim should not be the manager. Someone unrelated 
Tukem needs to be the manager, which might blow up the whole ease of what you're trying to accomplish here. Now, the question I would ask to you is why, if the fund if the funds are coming from your self-directed IRA, why are you trying to put the LLC between the direct lending from the IRA and the borrower? Because I can't see a super good reason to do that. If you're if you're thinking liability, I mean, you're not in, unless you're unless you're going to partner as opposed to being a private lender, you know, lenders just don't tend to have a lot of liability in regards to, you know, something happening to the property. I mean, it, your, your risk is that you lose your money. It's not that really that someone sues you and uh, you should be named as a loss payee for any kind of like fire, wind, that sort of thing. So I'm, I guess I'm not, I'm not quite certain if I am correct about the LLC thing and the IRA thing, why you think this is a necessary step. If you were saying, oh, I'm going to buy properties through my IRA, I would say, well, you know, the attorneys I know say, no, have your IRA fund an LLC and then have the LLC buy properties because there is liability in regards to owning real estate. So um, thanks for your question, Kim. I really appreciate that. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am uh, your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and it's question and answer week, which means guess what? You're the guest, which means if you have a question, you need to give me a call at 877-772-9658, or you can go to our website at realliferealestate.com, send an email via the Ask Vina a Question button. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and you can stay up to date with Real Life Real Estate Investing uh, at our website at realliferealestate.com or on our Facebook page, which guess what is facebook.com slash investing. If you have program suggestions, if you'd like to suggest a guest or suggest yourself as a guest, you can do that uh, on our Facebook page or through realliferealestate.com. Uh, always happy to hear from listeners and to get show ideas and feedback on what you like and don't like about the program. Again, that's realliferealestate.com or facebook.com slash realliferealestate. Uh, I got some clarification from Kim who had asked the question before the break about um, was it legal to do to set up an LLC to do lending uh, outside of a self-directed IRA. And I completely mistranslated what she had to say. Uh, she says, I'm looking to fund the LLC with money directly from my paycheck, IRA not involved. And so now I'm thinking that, uh, Kim, you might be conflating being a lender uh, and being a borrower and being a broker because there's some, there's some, there's some fairly complex rules out there in the world about who who can loan money and in what circumstances and with what what disclosures and qualifications and whatnot around them uh if the borrower is going to live in the property if the borrower is a an investor and it's a business to business transaction and by the way the best way to make sure that that's what's going to happen to you is uh, loan loan to their LLC, not to them personally. 
the lender really doesn't have a lot to concern themselves with. Um, if you're a broker, if you're if you're uh, taking in other people's money and lending it out, there are some rules around how you are allowed to do that. But if you're just Kim and you're out offering your own money to people that you know who are real estate investors who are not looking to live in the property, uh, you you really the the burden of legislative and legal stuff is on the borrower, not so much on you. Uh, if you listen to Jillian Sedotti's show from a few weeks back, she talks about how lenders should give their borrowers disclosures and make sure that they're protected with insurance and, you know, a good title search and a well-drafted mortgage and all of those sorts of things. And if you are taking the initiative and saying, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the, I'm going to make sure that I am the educated one and the smart one here, which is a good thing to do, uh, then you should know what that list of things is. But, um, you, you don't, there's, no, there's not going to be anything illegal about you loaning money to other real estate investors, particularly not if you stay within your own state. Okay. So like if you're not trying to loan money across state lines and whatnot, if you would like, I, I wrote an article ages and ages ago that I should probably republish at some point called something like how to be a successful private lender, or how to protect yourself when you're a private lender or something of that nature. And if you want a copy of it and you want to send me an email, uh, just go to realliferealestate.com and, and in the Ask Vina a question thing, just put um, send private lender report. Uh, I will send that to you and to anyone else who wants it because I spend so much time, um, unfortunately, untangling people's problems that they have created for themselves by making a private loan in the wrong amount to the wrong person in the wrong way. And every time that happens, every time I'm deep in one of these, um, okay, now how do we how do we try and minimize the amount of money that you uh, that you um, lose because you're going to lose some of it because just the situation has gotten so bad. I think, man, if if they'd have just done A, B, C, D, and E to start with, this would not be a problem. And I don't fully understand why private lenders write checks for, you know, five and six figure amounts of money without knowing what a lender's policy of title insurance is or without knowing that they should... Um, I don't know, check out the background of the person who's borrowing it and make sure that if they've done it, if they, that they've done deals before and that, that if they've done deals with private lenders, they've actually paid them back. I mean, that's a simple search. Not difficult to find out. So let me know if you would like to have that, Kim, and anyone else who would like it at realliferealestate.com. Um, here's a question from Becky. Who doesn't say where she's writing from? But in this case, it might not be uh, important. She says, I'm trying to unload a partially rehabbed house. I have owned a house for over three years, which is partially rehabbed. I'm having trouble finding a contractor who will give me a detailed estimate in the format required by my lenders, which is room by room, item by item, etc. 
The contractors in this area seem not to be willing to commit to a definite start and end date. Oh, man, Becky. You're just, <laughs> if you could see the text conversations I've been having on my phone all day with contractors, you would know that that's probably not just in your area. Um, I have considered selling it, but will probably lose my, and I'm going to say it says money. Uh, another option is to find someone with the right skill set and do a lease-to-own option. The third option is just bite the bullet, take a chance on a flaky contractor, and finish the rehab. In any of the options, the amount of money I will make is nearly negligible. Any advice I can take to the bank? I'm getting ready to lose my mind. By the way, the long story includes theft, taking a contractor to court, and winning, but having received no paycheck from him, etc. Help. And then she ends it with a laugh out loud, which it's good that you can still laugh, Becky, because <laughs> wow. Um, all right. So I gather that you are trying to, you are trying to borrow some money. You said you're saying your bank wants a, wants a room by room, item by item, um, detailed estimate. Is that going to help? Is borrowing more money going to help? I mean, if, if you need to do it to to finish the project, it is what it is. But if you can do it without borrowing more money, that would be helpful. Also, I don't know that I have ever, I've ever had a contractor really give me that kind of breakdown that you're talking about room by room, item by item. So when when I have needed that sort of thing, and, and actually whenever I'm dealing with contractor, the way it works is I go through and do the room by room, item by item thing, and just let the contractor put a price next to it. Because a lot of contractors feel like their job isn't to bid, their job is to do work, and any time they're spending bidding, especially before they've gotten the job, is a waste of their time. But if you give them a, here's exactly what I want to see throughout the house, you know, here's the flooring requirements, here's the windows, here's the roof, here's the whatever. And then in specific rooms, obviously, if there's some other issue, you add that to the room. And then and you hand it to them and you say, this is what this is what I want to bid on. You don't have to come over and look. I mean, you can, but you, you don't have to come over and look. I just need to know what is this going to cost. That should satisfy your bank. Um, it might be that what you have here is a job that's that's too big for any single contractor who's not a large GC and that you might do better breaking it down and hiring a roof guy and a window guy and an HVAC guy and a, and a carpenter. Um, this thing about contractor theft is, oh my gosh, so common. And it's more, it's even more common to hear. It's even more common to happen when you don't have a Y chromosome. Um, giving contractors great big chunks of money up front to get started is just not a good plan for reasons that you have already discovered, but you are not alone in that, Becky. Don't, 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 don't beat yourself up. And yeah, good luck ever getting any money from that contractor. You need to find out what, if, if he owns anything and go lean it. But anyway, uh, I think you're going to have to do the room by room, item by item breakdown, get, get a contractor to say, this is, this is how much I will charge for that, which will make it easier for him. Um, committing to definite start and end dates right now, you know, give them give them a, a week long or ten day swing in that because that seems to be what what you have to do to get anybody to agree to anything. Because right now that all the contractors are very very busy, the housing market is very active right now. A lot of people are fixing up their houses instead of selling them, which is part of the reason why 
the market's so tight and a lot of rehabbers, of course, it's high season for rehabbers. And so the really good contractors are super tied up right now. And I was just talking to one of my friends in Florida um, who was relaying that it's, 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 it's very, very bad down there and that the contractors pretty much call the shots and uh, they tell you when they're going to start in the next six months and then you sign an agreement with them where they are not really uh, committing to anything and they completely, you know, make all the rules. So, yeah, that's that's how the market is right now, Becky. So um, sorry about sorry about the problems you've had here, but it's not that uncommon. And um, yeah, that's you. You have you now have my best advice. Uh, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week, which means uh, there's no show without you. If you have a question, just go ahead and call it in at 877-772-9658, or go to realliferealestate.com and send it in via our Q&A form. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, which takes place once a month. And if you have a question that you would like to, um, you'd like to ask, uh, go to realliferealestate.com. Click the button that says ask a question. It will come here via email or you can send or you can uh, call at 877-772-9658. I have a question here from Larry who wants to know about wholesaling vacant land. He says, here where I live, it seems like there are lots for sale all over the place. And uh, I'm wondering how to how to comp them if I wanted to try to flip them to a builder. Um, and Larry, you didn't say where you're from. And uh, in this case, that's going to be an important uh, factor here. I get this question a lot, um, mostly mostly not from people like you, who you kind of sound like you're, you want to go after vacant lots. You describe this as a lot, which I assume means that it, it at least has water, power, gas, electric, and sewer at the street, as opposed to land, which you know, could be on the mountaintop and probably doesn't have all of those things. But I get, I get the question more often from somebody who put out a mailing and somebody called and said, well, that house you mailed me about is now a vacant lot. And then they want to know how they can, how they can evaluate it and how they can wholesale it. And the answer that I always give is do you see development going on in that area and by development I don't mean a brand new subdivision on a farm that's three miles away I mean are people infilling are builders building new houses on existing lots if that is the case um 
then you, you maybe have a valuable commodity in in the form of the lot. Uh, if it is not the case, you gotta you gotta ask yourself the question: Where is the value? Okay, so I've got I've got this lot. The uh, owner really wants to get rid of it, but the and the city says that it's worth uh, seven thousand dollars or seventeen thousand dollars or whatever the number is because that's what they're taxing it. But who wants it if if no one is building? Where is the value in that lot? And the answer is it is in the neighbor's evaluation of how much extra yard is worth to them. Because if, no, if nobody's building on it, vacant land actually costs money. It doesn't make money. So um, you need to look around and see, are you seeing new construction in your area and in, on, on existing lots in your area? Uh, infill is more expensive than developing just a, an empty farm, you know, into a bunch of uh, properties. There's a lot of, there's wires to be moved. There's, um, you know, uh, zoning issues that you might not have if you're building the first houses on uh, a new lot. There's, there's uh, you know, uh, getting the materials onto the site, not disturbing the neighbors too badly, all that kind of stuff. So usually you only see that kind of development in pretty affluent areas in in areas that are on 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 my scale of one to five where one is kind of a super war zone abandoned area and five is luxury they're going to be for uh, area types four and five if you're not seeing that i wouldn't I wouldn't bother to do the next step which is evaluate the lot. And the way that you evaluate the lot is the same way that you evaluate a piece of land, which is you look for something similar that has sold recently. Similar in a lot has has several meanings, one of which is, is it roughly the same size? I mean, you know, the a five acre lot is clearly worth more than a one acre lot, which is clearly worth more than a 50 by 100 lot. Uh, although those numbers are not, you know, they're not additive. You can't say a five acre lot is worth five times what a one acre lot is. But there are other things in in those vacant lots that, that matter. Um, location, of course, you know, isn't a quiet subdivision or on a busy street. But also uh, the topography. Is it is it flat? Is it does it does it go back twenty five feet from the street and then drop off into a ravine? Um, does it does it is it not even level with the street? Does it? Uh, I've seen lots where the the if you were to build a house on the lot, the house would be five feet below the level of the street, which is probably going to cause ongoing drainage problems. So, you know, you're going to compare those things the same way you would compare houses, which is try and find something fairly similar that has sold recently, and that should give you some idea of what the value is. One other thing that I'm going to add, though, Larry, is that I've had one or two students in the last couple of years who actually have put either vacant lots or properties that were what we call teardowns, right? The value the value of the property is actually in the land because the, the house is either so far gone or so outdated or whatever that it would be more valuable just to scrape the lot and put up a new house. And have run across an interesting thing with the builders who are their their potential flippies, right? The, the one who the, the builder I want to flip to. 
the builders don't want to pay up front for the land. They want to put a sign on it and maybe list it in the MLS as a finished property or as a, you know, we can build this house or this house or this house and it will be either 450 or 550 or 700 depending on which house. And they want to have a buyer who is ready, willing, and able to pay for both the lot and the construction before they will give you any money for it. So it's almost like the builders or the developers are, they're not willing to take any risk in um, actually putting money up front on these. And for you as a wholesaler to let somebody tie up your deal for 60 or 90 or 120 or 180 days looking for a buyer themselves doesn't really work, does it? I mean, the whole you need to get the property sold. You don't need to get it tied up and they won't uh, the builders that at least my students have worked for won't pay to buy out the options of the students so um it just it's a different business than wholesaling houses which have a an obvious and sort of provable value um okay we've got five minutes left here on question and answer week you may have time to get your question in via email at uh, by going to uh, realliferealestate.com you can give us a call at 877-772-9658 I got an email here that I'm not going to read the name of the person who sent it because I am about to spank this person for uh, what the email says which is I would like to talk to Kim, that would be the person who previously said that she maybe wanted to loan some private money, as I can put her money safely to work at an attractive rate. And the reason that I'm going to spank this person is that if he is saying to people in writing or in person that he can put their money to work safely or securely, or with a guaranteed return, or with any other words that would tend to indicate that there is little to no risk, um, that is really, really bad. And you need to go. You need to go back to the podcasts at realliferealestate.com and just search every single solitary show that Jillian Sedoti has ever done for us in the last five years where she says you cannot you cannot approach strangers uh, asking them for money, particularly uh, you can't make them an offer. And there's no offer here. There's no I will give this much percent. But you certainly can't use words that are, are have an actual legal meaning, right? Like secured investments that has an actual legal meaning. And it's not it's secured by real estate. It has to do with you know what kind of what kind of government guarantees might you have on this and you don't have any so uh please be extraordinarily careful about using that word safely when you are uh approaching people about money it's just it's not it's not really legal or a good idea um, all right, uh, let's see if we can pull one last question out of here that is not going to take me more than just a minute or two to answer because we are quickly running out of time and it's not getting any uh, 
any fa any quicker by me sitting here trying to go through the um, the questions here. Okay, uh, here's a here's a really easy one. Uh, this one is from Dave who lives in Louisville. He says, "Can you answer me a quick uh, question about a tenant?" I have one who is continually calling the building department on me rather than telling me what is wrong with his property. He does pay his rent, although almost always late, but it's becoming an expensive pain in my rear to always having to always have to be beating the building department to his property rather than just fixing things. Should he stay or should he go? Well, Dave, of course, the problem is if you evict him because he's calling the building department, that's a retaliatory eviction. And if he shows up at court and says, I'm I'm not being thrown out because my rent isn't my rent isn't being paid. I'm being thrown out because this guy doesn't like it that I am exercising my rights you're going to lose that eviction. I am going to assume that you have already asked the asked the tenant not to do this, right? And said, I, I will fix your stuff. You just have to let me know instead of calling authorities on me every time something goes wrong um, and that that hasn't worked. Uh, and therefore, the th the only advice I can give you is first opportunity you get to um, encourage this fellow to leave, you should probably do it. Uh, how long has it been since he had a rent raise? How long has it been since all of your tenants had a rent raise? Is this the only unit you own? Might be time to, to evaluate all of your property, all of your units for rent raises. Um, if he suggests that, you know, he might be thinking about moving, you might want to say, yeah, this is a great time to do it because you're right. It's definitely more expensive to do a repair when the building department has to come in afterwards and tell you whether you did it right or not. And I'm sorry that this is happening to you, but um, it happens sometimes. All right, that's a wrap on question and answer week. We will definitely be back next week, though, with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.